This week on the podcast, I have an extra, extra special guest. Her name is Kate Callett, and she is the machine learning and AI leader for emerging areas at NVIDIA, only the largest AI company in the world. She's already a legend in her field, and the scary thing is she's actually just getting started. I don't even know where to begin with Kate. She starts her career at Intel in 2014 before heading to ARM, overseeing the AI and machine learning ecosystem there to where she is today with NVIDIA doing some truly life-changing work. She's literally improving the lives of millions of people around the world by democratizing AI and giving power to regular people to make changes in their communities. I create podcasts for a living, so it kind of puts the work I do into some perspective. It's one of those conversations that just pulls you in from the beginning and makes you appreciate the power of marketing and communications. I mean, her own story is a testament to that, right? The choices that she's made in her life about the way her life would go come from an advert that she saw on Japanese TV. If not for that ad, she wouldn't be doing what she's doing. She's just a great spirit. You know, you can't see it on the podcast, obviously, but she's constantly smiling throughout the conversation. It, it just made it such a pleasure to speak with her. If you are even remotely interested in the power of AI to drive social change, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Kate Callett. Kate Callett builds large, complex AI ecosystems and developer communities to drive forward innovation, focused on solving real-world problems. She believes in the power of AI to drive social change. Using technology innovations, she aims at helping accelerate economic development in emerging markets. She has won multiple accolades throughout her career, being named Business Insider Top 100 Transformers of 2020, Venture Beast, Women in AI Rising Star in 2020 also, the CES Best of Innovation Award and the China AI Industry Innovation Alliance Most Reliable Products Award of 2018. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Kate Callett, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thanks, Nadine. I'm really excited to be here. Not as excited as I am, Kate. Thank <laughs> you so much for being on the show. You just have a fascinating history and background. You're an AI and machine learning leader, head of emerging areas at NVIDIA, which we'll talk about a little bit later, a fascinating company. You've held senior roles at Intel and ARM prior to NVIDIA, but you studied law and political sciences in your early career and wanted to become a journalist. Why did you change your mind and start your career instead in AI and machine learning? So yeah, I started uh, my um, my studies in law and political sciences and I dropped out after two years. I then moved to a um, marketing and journalism school uh, with the goal of becoming a journalist. But uh, at the time I had a um, an internship in one of the largest newspaper in, in France and one of the journalists turned to me and said, Kate, I love your passion, but there is no money in journalism. <laughs> he was he was probably right at the it time. Was, what what you was this that was 2011 right spot on <laughs> spot on so that's really interesting so you so you subsequently at some point went to japan to study yeah H how did your time there get you interested in technology 
Yeah, so when he told me that there was no money in journalism, the next year I decided to go and study in Japan and see um, um, what was happening there. And um, when I arrived in Japan, I was really impressed and really excited because there is a lot of technology in Tokyo and and Japan Japanese interact with um with technology on an everyday basis um so you see some robots in shops at the time pepper was was um in all the softbank shops um so it was a very um eye opening um uh, experience for me and um also we had um a one of our marketing uh, professor was a director at Sony and he made us um study an ad campaign from softbank at the time, SoftBank was the biggest telco in Japan, um, and they were running these ads with a very unusual family. So it was a very diverse family with an African American um, um, as one of the son. Um, there was a dog uh, which looked like Hachiko, which is a, a famous Japanese dog. Mm. In uh, as a as the dad, you had Korean, a Korean daughter, and it was very unusual to see that type of diversity uh, on Japanese TV. Mm. Um, and uh, the actor playing the the son, the African American actor actually went on to becoming a big star in Japan. He was everywhere on like TV talk shows. And, um, you know, I've never been victim of racism in, in Japan. Um, and I do credit it to, to this, to this um, ad campaign from SoftBank. Really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about that ad campaign and, and that TV advert specifically. Yeah. Because SoftBank, I mean, we know now that they had the largest vision fund in the world. I think they were behind... Uh, the funding of of WeWork and and subsequently sort of sort of what happened there. I'm actually recording this from a WeWork now, so thank you, SoftBank. Um, but tell us why that ad had such a big impact on you and the way your career subsequently materialized. So that ad had a big impact on me because. Um, because I've never been victim of racism in Japan, that's when I actually decided to work in tech marketing. I wanted to build campaigns and ads which would help influence positively people. I've benefited from that and I wanted in turn to do the same thing. So that's when um, when I came back from Japan, I actually decided to apply for a role in tech and I applied for an internship at Intel Tokyo because I really wanted to go back to Japan. Um, but I got an internship at Intel France. Um, <laughs> and uh, as soon as I graduated my master's, I got hired full time. And then that's how my career started in tech. So, so let's talk a little bit about your time at Intel. In yeah. 2013, you said that you became sales and marketing analyst at, at Intel, where you subsequently stayed for five years. Yeah. What did you take away from your time with the company? Um, so I started as a sales and marketing analyst, so as an intern, and then went on to occupying various positions, first um, building ecosystem around IoT in Europe, um, and then uh, moving to the US. And that's when I kind of got into AI and spent the the last, uh, my last years at Intel in that space. But it was a very interesting experience for me because traveling and and being able to live in in a country such as Poland um i was actually one of the only two black employees in the whole mm. side a side of 2000 people mm. um that's when i actually realized that representation matters um and when i made that move from poland to the us i got into one of the biggest Intel sites, and there were so many black execs around in high positions. And that really changed the way 
I approach my roles um, and it kind of get me to challenge myself because seeing them in this high position, I was thinking, well, what they achieved, I can actually do it too. There is a space for us. So that got me to push myself in even harder um, and, um, and help me uh, with the rest of my career. Let's talk about your time in the US. So yeah. that's where you met a gentleman by the name of Remy, who was the CEO of Mavidius, a company that later sold to Intel for hundreds of, of millions of, of pounds. And you credit him for you actually getting into AI. What was it about him and his vision of the future of AI that turned around your career? Um, his vision was to democratize AI. So basically make it easy for anyone to get started in AI. Um, and that's what really sold it to me. Um, he was really committed to making AI accessible to everyone. And even me as a marketer, um, being able to use that product for me was a big, big step. So that's actually when um, I started playing and learning a little bit how to code. But that was the first step um, or the first stepping stone towards um, uh, me becoming then a, a leader in, in AI and machine learning. Um, and one of the things I've always admired um, about Remy is his humbleness. He's an extremely humble guy. Um, he's an extremely humble guy and he's not hesitated. He never hesitates to push for more representation and more women in tech. Mm. Um, add to that that we have a similar background. Um, which is? Which is both children of African immigrants. His family comes from Tunisia. My family comes from Central African Republic, born in France. Um, he studied law and political science. He studied political sciences, oh, actually. Wow. He went to CIOSPO. Um, and then moved to the US and went on becoming a, a big exec at TI. Um, but seeing his past and his career, I thought to myself, when I grow up, I want to be Remy. And I still think that. <laughs> <laughs> don't, we, don't we all? Really interesting. So, so Remy's vision was to democratize AI and sort of give uh, sort of people like me with uh, who are technophobes to a certain degree, yeah. the ability to sort of uh, create exciting applications off the back of it. I'm not sure whether his product actually works for someone as bad as me with technology, um, <laughs> but let's see. But what are some of the most exciting applications that you're excited about now when it comes to AI? From a general perspective, I think, um, speaking generally, I think right now there are a couple of things, um, when I look at the future of AI, there are a couple of things that come to mind. We're getting into this phase where AI is everywhere. Um, a, a lot of people don't know that, but the device with which we interact on a daily basis and it's processing the most of AI today is actually our mobile phone. Hmm. Um, so when you use um, um, your voice assistant, whether it's Siri, Bixby or others, um, you're actually using AI. Um, when you see, when you go on Netflix and you look for um, a movie and you see some um, recommendations popping up, this is also using AI. So AI is already here and it's already everywhere. We just don't, because the technology is invisible, we just don't realize sure. that it has become like Mainstream. embedded in our lives. Yeah. But uh, when I look at what applications I'm pretty excited about, you know, um, we're all living into this world where now we've had to get used to video conferencing. Um, and for me, um, there is one thing I'm looking forward to is everything that's real time. So if you think about 
real-time translation, real-time super resolution in the context of video conferencing, you and I could be talking right now, I can be speaking in French and you will see the translation in English um, uh, coming real-time. Hmm. Or I can have um, a, a very low-quality camera, but you would see me in 4K on your side. This is what we call real-time um, real AI. So mm. that's something I'm really excited about. The second thing is going to be AI innovation coming from different parts of the world um, and coming from places like Africa and making sure that uh, we surface this innovation um, and, um, and um, also enable developers in that part of the world to solve some of the challenges that they're facing on a, on a daily basis. Mm. We will come back to some of the specific applications in emerging areas, specifically Africa, yeah. in, a, in a moment. But in, in 2019, you left Intel to join ARM, where you oversaw all AI and machine learning ecosystem development and developer relations strategies. What factors led to that decision? Um, you remember I told you uh, about a company who got me into tech. I did. SoftBank. <laughs> exactly. Right. And who acquired ARM in 2016? Uh, SoftBank. <laughs> exactly. Really interesting. <laughs> so when I got the opportunity, I decided to join ARM because I wanted to be part of that <laughs> SoftBank mission, right. that company who opened my eyes and actually got me into tech in the first place. Um, so that's the whole reason why I, I joined ARM. Um, I ended up really liking the company. It's been an amazing ride for me, you know. And I was leading their um, AI ecosystem, but then ended up working even more around developer relations um, and enabling developers to to use um, ARM's applications. So it's been a great time for me. It's been a great almost two years. So that goes back to your point of the importance of representation, because if you hadn't seen that advert in yeah. Japan and you hadn't been positively impacted by the representation of the Black family... Yeah. You wouldn't have subsequently then had the passion for technology, be interested in SoftBank with the company. You then subsequently followed them around the world, um, <laughs> ultimately. Uh, and and this and it led you to where you are today. Really fascinating story. What was your biggest legacy or takeaway from your time at Arm? Um, just on your on your previous point, I think this story actually shows the power of marketing hmm. and what impact marketing can have on the lives of people. Um, but uh, if I have to um, cite one thing that I'm really proud um, um, of achieving at ARM is actually founding the Black at ARM network. Hmm. Um, ARM was a company of 29 years old and there was no ERG for black employees. I actually had to go through Orchard for, um, and it took me a week to find all the black faces in the company <laughs> manually. Wow. That took me hours and hours during a week, but I was committed to it, you know. <laughs> You found so them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I found them, all right. of them, almost all of them. Right. <laughs> then we iterated um, as the network started to get together. But funding that network and collating it with um, my colleague Susan has been an amazing experience. And that's something that will keep on living at arm. The network, although I left, the network is still running. They've been hitting the ground hard, um, uh, producing the black, the first black at arm conference. So it's, it keeps growing. Um, and, um, the network is changing the company culture for the better. Hmm, really interesting. And, and what problem were you trying, trying to solve there? What was the problem that you identified that you're trying to solve? 
I was trying to create a safe space for black employees, but also because when I first arrived at Arm, I couldn't see many black employees around. And if you remember what I told you when I moved, when I first moved to, to, to the US with Intel, that's what motivated me um, to see black execs around and really make thinking that I could achieve what they had achieved. So when I first got at ARM, I couldn't see many black employees around. And I've had an, an intern reaching out to me. She's um, she's half um, Ghanaian and Togolese. And um, she told me, Kate, I've had to look for so long to find somebody like you in like senior position, black woman in AI. We need to do something about it. And she motivated me to the point that I was like, okay, let's go and create that network. Um, and I realized it was important to pay it forward and also make making sure that um, the younger generation could see where black execs could get um, and that they could, just like I was inspired by black execs, they could be inspired um, in turn as well. Mm, really interesting. L let's talk a little bit about NVIDIA because you joined the company in October 2020. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating company. I think most people listening to this would think that they are video games company, but in fact, you're the largest AI company in the world. Tell us a little bit more about the company and what is the future mission of NVIDIA? Yeah, you're right. Um, some people think that uh, we are a graphics game company, but um, NVIDIA's core business is, is GPUs. So these are um, graphics processing unit or general purpose unit depends on the way you look at it but that was the core the whole um uh core of their business for a while and whenever there was this um, renewed interest towards ai um researchers um and the industry actually discovered that gpus which is what nvidia produces um can be used for ai and have enough computational power to process complex AI workloads. So that triggered a lot of new AI applications and that happened uh, about a, about 10 years ago. Um, so then NVIDIA went to that pivot and, and is now the leading AI company in the world. What really drew me to NVIDIA is the company's um, vision and mission. Um, what our CEO always says is that he wants to democratize AI. Sounds familiar, right? That was the same <laughs> that Remy got me. Sure. <laughs> that was the same um, way Remy got me into into uh, into uh, the Movidius group at the time. Right. Um, so since the, the vision of the company and, and the mission of the company is to democratize AI, the way I come into the picture is um, making sure that we don't forget any developers, developers in emerging markets, making sure that we make our technology accessible to these developers um, in emerging markets and in Africa. And that's really what drew me to the company. Um, they realized that there is this untapped opportunity um, and, um, and they wanted to get serious about it. So when they offered me the position, I just jumped on it. It was time for me to move from general AI to making sure that I give back to Africa. Really interesting. So as I understand it, you, you lead the emerging areas, ecosystem, strategic partnerships and developer relations for the leading AI technology company in the world, NVIDIA. 
what problems are you trying to solve for the world? Um, you know, the essence of uh, technology, and we sometimes forget about it, it's really to um, solve challenges. It's to solve challenges. And I think t beyond that, technology even has the power to help accelerate economic development and leapfrog a lot of things. Um, so for me, it's all about going to these places um, such, the Africa, such as the African continent um, and making sure that we give developers and innovators on the continent the tools to innovate and accelerate economic developments in their countries. Mm. Um, so for me, that's the, that's, the, that's the whole purpose of my mission and that's what I want to focus for the next 10 years or even more. Um, so really try to make tech accessible. And the very interesting thing with Africa is that the AI innovation in Africa is actually a bottom-up innovation. It's being driven by grassroots communities, developers, innovators. It's very different than the AI innovation in the US being driven by the big tech companies or in China being fostered by the government investing in startups. It's a bottom-up innovation. It's coming from the actual people who are using it and applying it to solve challenges around them. So when I talk to that researcher in, in Kenya who says to me, oh, I used your device to build a um, river monitoring system um, to monitor um, the main river in Kenya um, and make sure that we allocate the resources um, fairly and squarely for the people who rely on this river. I'm like, wow. And then he comes to me and is like, oh, by the way, you know, the first uh, system was um, destroyed by, uh, by baboons. It's like... <laughs> Yeah. So you never would have factored that into the development of the product, right? Never. <laughs> That's not something we think of when you build hardware, right. right? Sure. Is it going to get destroyed by baboons? By baboons. Maybe. Right. <laughs> I don't even think um, uh, AI or machine learning could have predicted that. <laughs> <laughs> really fascinating. So, so, and that, then that goes back to your point about sort of representation, because technology really that we use in the West has been built by... Uh, you know, a certain type of person. And if you have a homogenous group of people creating products and services for the world, you only get to see the world through a very specific lens. Yeah. So going back to your point of democratizing AI and actually you know, giving people the power to create the solutions to their own problems. Yeah. When you build technology, it's a reflection of the people who build it. Sure. So you have to have diverse engineers, diverse people hands-on with the technology to build a technology which looks like the world because the world is diverse. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge that we are committed to help solving um, and uh, we are committed to also um, uplift the developers in every shape or form and everywhere in the world. Mm. You said it far more eloquently than me. I wish I could have said it like that. <laughs> really good point. Absolutely love it. So so let me ask you this then. I mean, what, what sort of challenges do you foresee in trying to achieve, achieve that goal um, of sort of democratizing uh, AI in emerging areas and, and enabling people to solve their own challenges from a, a grassroots level? And how will you overcome them? Um, some something we often forget is that Africa is a continent. It is not a country. <laughs> it's a continent with 56 The continent of Africa. <laughs> the continent of Africa. Right. Um, so it's a continent with a lot of different cultures, um, a lot of different people, a lot of different challenges. Um, and it's all about where do you start? 
Um, so that's one of the main challenge when I see uh, that I foresee in 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 my role and really trying to democratize um, or make AI accessible to African developers. Um, there are a couple of countries, obviously, who are more developed than the others and more advanced from an AI perspective. So for example, you look at Nigeria, there is already a data science Nigeria group which meets on a regular basis, organize boot camps, workshop um, on AI and data science um, for the developers there. So there are countries where um, uh, the AI developer community is already organized. So that makes my job a little bit easier. Mm. But then how do I make sure that I uplift the other countries as well? That's going to be a real challenge. Um, mm. But I'm sure I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Really, really exciting opportunity ahead of you. So you're three months into the role now. What does the next six to 12 months in the role look like? And what things are top of your agenda? Um, three months into the role, ramping up during a pandemic, ramping up a new organization. Easy. <laughs> Easy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's going to be uh, looking at uh, the strategy, making sure that I stay in touch with developers. Um, and for me, that's the most um, important in my role, actually, making sure that I talk to developers on a regular basis, um, understand their challenges, understand where our technology fits um, and um, and build a plan to to actually um, accelerate um, or reach so that's what the, the the next six to to 12 months will look like for me and I'm also building my team so going through like figuring out um, where are the gaps and what I what type of profile I should hire and and things like that don't miss out on our weekly newsletter called the masters it's exclusive content from the best agency leaders in the world on how to build and grow successful agency businesses. Join thousands of other founders, brand leaders and entrepreneurs, and you'll find content that isn't published anywhere else, even in the main feed. When you subscribe, you'll also get a free toolbox of ideas and strategies that we have carefully handpicked from the most successful marketing leaders around today. If you're even remotely interested in how to build a great agency business, this is something for you. So head over to agencydealmasters.com to sign up. Benchpress 2021 is now open. It is the largest survey of independent agency owners in the UK, and it's your chance to benchmark yourself against your peers. You'll receive a copy of the full benchmark results as a thank you for taking part. By taking part, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates, and profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently, insights that will have the power to transform your agency. The link to complete the survey is in the description. Just bringing the interview towards a close now before we get into our favorite questions, which I'm really excited to ask you some of them. <laughs> Let, let's talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion and, and leadership, especially at, at the highest levels, because even though we've seen a lot of progress recently with women and minorities yeah. at the highest levels of leadership it's still sadly lacking especially in technology companies um in in agencies which is sort of what my background is um what more can be done to get women and minorities especially black women and minorities into positions of, of leadership um what more needs to be done at the highest levels of leadership and specifically to get women of color into AI and machine learning? 
Yeah, I think um, there are a couple of ways to look at it, but um, on my end, I've decided to focus on a couple of buckets. The first one is awareness. Um, Growing up, I was not aware about the whole world of technology and engineering. I discovered that in 2012 in Tokyo, right? Right. Um, So there is this big awareness issue um, and we need to improve um, awareness around AI, around technology, career paths for the younger generation. So I've been doing a lot of mentoring in things in with organizations like Teens in AI, for example, um, and making sure that I educate um, young teens on what it means to get into AI. And it doesn't have to be coding. It doesn't have to be software engineering. It could be AI marketing. So I'm showing them my kind of unusual path mm. um, into AI, hoping that this is going to kind of inspire them to get into into the field. The second way I look into it is the platform. We need to create platforms and um, safe space, um, safe spaces where um, black employees in tech and AI feel like they actually belong because it's all about attracting them, retaining them, but you only attract what you project. Mm. So if you project a very homogeneous image, that's what you'll get in return. Mm. Um, so we have to um, organize. There are a couple of groups such as Black in AI, um, Women in AI, Women in Machine Learning, um, which are already doing that. We need to keep increasing this. And then from a company's perspective, um, one thing that the Black at Arm, funding the Black at Arm and running the network taught me is that you need to give a voice to your Black employees. They need to feel like they are being um, listened to, heard, and they are being cared for. So you have to give them a voice. Um, and that's the, the important thing, but that's going to be internally to the company, right? Um, so we still have a long way to go as an industry. Um, and the recent events last week and the week before um, have proved that. Uh, but I think... We need to all get together and and keep pushing because that's the only way we'll get there. How do you reflect on 2020 more broadly, not only from the perspective of the pandemic, which has been hard for everybody, but also the Black Lives Matter movement, the killing of of George Floyd and the subsequent response to that by brands and and, uh, larger organizations around the world? What is your feeling about how the response has been handled by the business community. Are you optimistic with the initiatives that you've seen from organizations versus whether they are a band-aid or just podium fodder with a lot of people just posting black squares on on LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, Are you optimistic about where we are right now and the response of the business community? Um, Obviously, George Floyd hit us all and That's when I actually learned the importance of having a black ERG within a company because that's where we could all congregate and grieve together. Um, And that has actually been the catalyst for us to ask for more into the company in the company um, at arm and really push for execs to try and understand our perspective, but also demand changes. Um, which are currently happening. When it comes to the general business community answer, there are two ways to look at it. One, lip service. Hey, it's PR. Mm. We're going to do that. We're committed. But then what have you actually done? 
what have been the actions that you've taken? Mm. So I think that now it has been almost six months. We need to start demanding like, okay, what have been the actions you've taken within those six months? You said you care. That's great. What actions have you taken concretely? Mm. Um, so until I see that, right now I'm still waiting for it. But until I see, I see a, a plan of action and things that have been done by, by various companies, um, uh, I would say I'm still kind of in between. I'm not that optimistic mm. because mm. the change comes from actions. Um, we have to move from the discussions. Um, we have to move from we have to move from the discussions to the actions and to the changes. That's the only way to get there. Really interesting. And then, how do you reflect on 2020 more broadly from the perspective of the pandemic, um, both on your life from a personal point of view and from a, a business perspective? What have been the main takeaways for you? Um, before the pandemic, I was always in a plane constantly flying around and like going to meet developers in China and going to meet developers in, in the US. Um, right. Actually, I learned that I don't have to be <laughs> to do right. my job. Like as an ecosystem person, which is a very outward facing job, right? Sure. Um, you have to be in contact with partners and developers all the time. That's the only way you get your job done um, sure. or you're successful at your job. So I realized that actually the other ways to do we can do it this way. We can do it this way, you know? <laughs> Video right. conferencing works too. Um, right. So um, uh, kind of told me that I can start sitting down um, and don't have to be on, on a plane all the time. The second thing that the pandemic told me is that, or 2020 told me actually, is that you can't take anything for granted. Mm. You can't take anything for granted. If I look at my personal life, um, Christmas is a very important time for me because that's almost the only time I can meet my mom and my sister mm. every year. Christmas is our thing. We get together, we do something. Um, and this year it was a little bit uncertain because my sister, my little sister lives in Canada. My mom is in France. Um, I, I'm in the UK, obviously. And we just didn't know if we would be able to meet. So we had to go through a lot of hoops and find a place where we could all meet sure. so that no one spends Christmas alone. So... Mm. Never forget that you can't take anything for granted. <laughs> sure. And now you're spending Christmas on a beach in beautiful Bridgetown in Barbados. Exactly. <laughs> How could that be any better? Yeah, I know. <laughs> really fascinating. Well, I hope you have a, a lovely Christmas and, and New Year. Thank you. Let's get into everyone's favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. So I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. Exciting. Let's start with a nice, easy one. Tell us about some of your favorite books. What do you read for personal and professional development? All right. Um, so I'll give you three, four different reasons. Um, the first one is factfulness. Ten reasons we are wrong about the world and why things are better than you think. Brilliant. This is a book by Hans Rosling and Ola Rosling. Mm. Um, this book was very important for me because... Last year, I went on a trip um, uh, with UNICEF in Malawi. And um, when I came back, I was so frustrated at myself. I was like, I need to do more. I need to help. I need to be hands on deck. But what, how, how do I start? What can I do? And that, got, that really hit me. Mm. Um, I was very depressed. And then I started reading this book and I just, it just... Made you happy. Yes. <laughs> Literally, Literally made me happily. Yeah, it is the most inspiring, uplifting, 
business book or just book in book. general yeah. that I've read in a very long time. Yeah, every everybody should read this book. Everybody, every leader, definitely, I recommend. Yeah, really good. What what else have you got for us? Um, the second one I will give is actually an AI book. Um, it's an AI business book. Typical. Typical, right? <laughs> uh, it's called AI Superpowers. Okay. Um, and that was written by Kai Fuli, who used to work for um Google and now has his um investment uh, firm company in uh, in China, um, but. He's talking about how we got to where we are with AI from a business standpoint um, and how what were the differences between the way things have developed in the Silicon Valley from a star- AI startup's perspective and how things have developed in China. Um, so it's a very interesting book if you want to understand the dynamics between um, the US and China when it comes to AI and where the innovation is being driven and how companies um, look alike or differ as well. Really interesting. What was the name of the book again? Sorry. Um, AI Superpowers. AI Superpowers. All right. Added to my very long Amazon reading list. <laughs> I'm never going to get to the bottom of this reading list. Like, <laughs> I've decided it's just not going to happen. Um, and there was a third book. The third book um, is a book I read recently, um, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Ah, right. It's been yeah. on my list for a long time. Yeah. Is it good? It's amazing. It's really amazing. I've been a fan of Trevor Noah for yeah. a while, um, but uh, reading his story is just inspiring. Um, reading how he grew up um, in, in South Africa during, during apartheid, um, he's giving a lot of anecdotes and stories about his mom, who is an absolutely amazing person. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's like the story of, of this African guy who now is running one of the largest comedy show in in new york right news comedy show in new york so um for me that was really inspiring as well amazing he literally was born a crime because yeah. in apartheid his, his dad and his mom couldn't be to, it was literally a crime for them to be together exactly which is just crazy boggles the mind um really great recommendations thank you very much for for all of them uh what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit um this year I started to uh, do yoga. So I started to get into yoga, a little bit of meditation as well. Um, that helped me just like quiet my mind. I think a lot all the time. It's all like running, 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 running. So sometimes mm-hmm. I need to step back. Sure. Um, but I also do um, Pilates. So I started, the good thing about this pandemic is that I started training again. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's either got a lot of people really, really fit or a lot of people really unhealthy. Yeah. Because <laughs> junk food is just right there. Um, it's like, what do you do on Saturdays and Sundays when you just can't get out? Sure. I had I had to find something, so I started training again. <laughs> Amazon Prime or Netflix? What are you watching or streaming that's good? Netflix. <laughs> Actually, both, but more Netflix. Okay. On what Amazon, are you on Netflix? On Netflix... Um, um, I'm a big uh, true crime documentary fan. Okay. <laughs> Give us some of your favorites. I would say um, Trial 4. I would say um, Making a Murderer, Season 1 and 2. Um, mm-hmm. The Staircase, I think the other okay. one is, is called. I've not come across that one. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of true crime. But also, the good thing about Netflix is that they have a lot of um, Japanese and Korean 
movies. Yes, they do. And I'm a big fan of Japan, Japanese and Korean um, uh, cinema. It's actually really good cinema. So I get to also watch things in Japanese subtitled in English and Korean. Did you pick up much Japanese when you were in Japan? Yeah, I used to speak Japanese almost fluently. Amazing. And I can, I can actually, I can actually write, read and write as well. That is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. When I'm going through difficult times, I remind myself of inspirational quotes from people that I admire to get me through, like Viktor Frankl, between stimulus and response, there's choice, or from the magic of big thinking, how big we think determines the size of our accomplishments or action cures fear. Do you have any of those things that you fall back on in tough times? Yes, there is a quote from um, Harriet Tubman, the American um, abolitionist. So um, the quote goes, um, every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience and the passion to reach for the stars and change the world. Mm. That's what drives me. (laughs) Love it. Harriet Tubman quote. Thank you very much for that. In the last three to five years, what ideas, behaviors or habits have you added or removed from your life that have improved your outcomes? Wow, that's a good question. (laughs) I haven't thought about it yet. Um, I got back into reading more, um, which is something I really wanted to do. Um, and that obviously has improves a lot of things you do in, in your life and the way you perceive things as well. Um, on top of that, I, um, I really try to take care of myself now. Um, so like I told you, I went back into training, which I stopped for, for a while. When you travel a lot, it's like, when do I find the time to actually go to the gym? Like I can't create a routine. Mm. Um, I'm not a routine person. I'm really unexpected. So I kind of force myself into like small routines that I try to um, uphold every, every day. Um, So that actually helped me be a little bit more disciplined in, in what I do generally. Mm, really fascinating what what advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their career in ai and machine learning just go for it i mean <laughs> don't hesitate it's here um and it's going to be here for a while it's a world and an industry of opportunities um and we need you um, we need more people to get into this field because we want to build more inclusive, more diverse technology. Um, we have to also have more diverse marketing campaigns in AI to attract even more people in the field and uh, positively impact people just like I was positively impacted in my career. Um, so just do it. And if, you, if you're looking for a way to get started, there are a lot of resources online, um, starting with Coursera, introductions to AI and machine learning. That's the first course I took when I decided to get in AI. <laughs> and there are a lot of resources online on YouTube free. So just really do it. And if you want career advice, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. My door is always open. Oh, lovely. And my final question What is it you know about the world of AI as a force for good today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Um, That's a good question. I think um, the fact that one of the things I didn't realize or I underestimated when I started my career um, is the power of AI to drive um, social changes. 
and help local populations improve lives. I was only saying it from a technology perspective, but now after all these experiences I've been through, after going to Malawi last year, um, after going to, to Ethiopia as well, um, I, I realized that there is a big power for AI to, to drive social changes. So that's something I wish I knew a long time ago. Absolutely love it. Kate, thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> thank you for having me. That was a pleasure. We have been speaking with Kate Callett. She is currently the head of emerging areas at NVIDIA. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 100 conversations now we've had with leaders in sales, marketing, AI, and machine learning. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me, Nathan at agencydealmasters.com please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Christoph Blaschek is our booker slash project manager. Mariam Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Don't miss out on our weekly newsletter called The Masters. It's exclusive content from the best agency leaders in the world on how to build and grow successful agency businesses. Join thousands of other founders, brand leaders and entrepreneurs, and you'll find content that isn't published anywhere else, even in the main feed. When you subscribe, you'll also get a free toolbox of ideas and strategies that we have carefully handpicked from the most successful marketing leaders around today. If you're even remotely interested in how to build a great agency business, this is something for you. So head over to agencydealmasters.com to sign up. Benchpress 2021 is now open. It is the largest survey of independent agency owners in the UK, and it's your chance to benchmark yourself against your peers. You'll receive a copy of the full benchmark results as a thank you for taking part. By taking part, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates and profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently, insights that will have the power to transform your agency. The link to complete the survey is in the description.